God is going to honor that. And all I can tell you is to Syria, President Medvedev says we are now in a cold war with the United States. Russia hands off warning to the United States and to the Saudis and to the Turks amid crucial Aleppo fight. Hands off, back off, or we will be in a war. Financial Times. Battered, bruised, and jumpy, the whole world is on edge. CIA director warns ISIS is using chemical weapons and poses a threat that keeps him up at night. Our CIA director is saying, we got a terrible situation in Syria right now and ISIS. ISIS right now already has access to chemical weapons. They've already used them against some of the people that are their enemies in Syria. If they were to use those against Israel, our CIA director is saying, we're going to get into a global war. Then the next one is invaders threaten nuke attack on Israel. The well-organized army of ISIS claims it has access now to nuclear weapons and will use it to liberate Israel from, um, from the, uh, to liberate Israel. Do they actually have Islamic, do they actually have nuclear weapons? Don't know. But what it's being reported now is they can actually buy them now. They have enough money and there's enough chemical weapons and dirty bombs in the black market that they're now saying it's a distinct possibility. Then Hezbollah chief, which is the terrorist organization and a proxy of Iran, they're in Lebanon. The leader is, is uh, Nasrallah. He threatens a chemical facility. He says, I, I, we have enough nuclear, n- enough uh, uh, missiles that go, can go into Israel, and Israel has facilities that produce chemicals. We can bomb that, and it would be enough of an explosion to be equal to a nuclear bomb. So much so that the leader of Israel, their homeland defense is saying, we better move this facility to the desert because it is too close. Russians let Hezbollah into, close into the northern part of, uh, of Syria and Lebanon and is threatening Israel. The Russians are letting Hezbollah. In other words, here Russia's in there. They were supposed to be just attacking ISIS. And now they're a cover, and, and Israel's saying, hey, world, what are you doing? Why did you let Russia in there? And Russia is right now saying, hey, Hezbollah, if you want to get a little bit closer to Israel, we got your back. And we allowed that to happen. Turkey is asking the United States to take part in a ground invasion of Syria. Right now, Turkey, who is Sunni, they're saying, we need to go against, we cannot allow Assad to be able to stay in power. Because if he stays in power, okay, and if the Shiite Muslims stay in power in Syria, they're going to want to expand, and they're going to want to go into Saudi Arabia, they're going to want to take our oil fields. We have enough money that we're going to, right now, amassing 350... I'm not sure if you guys have seen this in the news. 350,000 troops on the border of Syria with 20,000 tanks and 2,000 airplanes as we speak right now. And they're saying, the United States, come join us. The only reason they haven't gone in yet is 
We've talked about this in previous Sunday schools and sermons where the Bible speaks about a coming world leader, Antichrist, a coming world religious leader, false prophet. You know, as we hear in the news so much about the United Nations and they're wanting more power, as we see the Pope, he came uh, here to our border and we saw the adoration. We saw how so many people were so affixated. I'm not saying he's the false prophet. I'm just saying we are now seeing, you know, such a push for a leader in the world. There are no leaders in the world. Everybody else is really a straw man. There, people are saying, where are the strong leaders? And that's one of the reasons why Trump is doing so well. Because people are needing and wanting a leader. A person that will take charge. And the Bible says, when the Antichrist comes, that's how the world is going to be. It's going to be pushing for a leader. A leader that's politically, militarily, and economically strong. A leader that's going to be religiously strong. And we're living in that time right now. The Bible speaks about how cash will be gone. There will be no more cash. The economies of the world will crash The economies in the world will suffer hyperinflation, Revelation chapter 6. And then after that, the world will then go to a single monetary system, a mark of the beast, 666. I'm not sure if you guys are seeing this, but I've got news articles where now there are certain nations that say, hey, we don't have cash anymore. We're doing everything digitally as we speak. There are other nations that are saying, we're now getting rid of our large denomination bills. And just last week, I read how there were some people in the United States that are saying, maybe we ought to get rid of the $100 bill. And people are pushing to get away from cash. How come? It's simple. Because when you have cash, you can't track it. But when you do everything through a credit card, through a debit card, through a bank, everything is tracked and they know exactly where you are going, what you are buying. And then they can tax that. Have you guys heard of the latest that's going on economically? Um, Have you guys heard of negative interest rates? Used to be when you had money in the bank, you would expect a certain percentage of interest. And lately it's been almost close to zero. But do you know that there are some countries now where the central banks and the banks themselves are saying, If you want to keep $1,000 in our bank, at the end of the year, you're not going to have $1,000 anymore. It's going to be $990 or $900 and whatever dollars. It's going to be less than the $1,000 because we're going to take, we're going to charge you for putting money in our bank. That's what's going on. And that's what's around the corner. Why is that? Because one, one, they want to be able to have the money, not in your mattress, not in your house, but in their banks to be able to control, trying to get rid of cash. And as I'm reading this, I'm reading how people now are accepting this. In countries that they're already doing it, they're accepting it. And so now more countries are emboldened and saying, hey, if they're not pushing back on it, then maybe we should do it as well. The Bible says that in the future, Israel will be living in peace. (laughs) They are definitely not living in peace right now. Right now, they're surrounded by enemies. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 38 that they're not going to have walls anymore, that they're going to feel secure. And, well, right now, that's not happening. Right now, Israel is building even more walls, just like Trump says, I'm going to build a wall. Well, they're saying we've got to do the same thing. 
Well, the Bible says in the future, Israel is going to feel so much at peace that they're not going to have those walls. And the Bible says when that happens, that's when Russia, Iran, and other Islamic nations attack them. But what's fascinating is the nations that attacked them in Ezekiel 38 are not inclusive of the nations that have attacked them in previous wars. In other words, when Israel became a nation again in 1948, they had a 48 war, a 56 war, 1967 war, 1973 war. And in all those wars, all of their surrounding neighbors are the ones that attacked them. Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, parts of Iraq. Well, in the Ezekiel War, none of those nations are included. Syria is not included. Why is that? Because there's something that is about to happen that's going to cause those nations to be taken out of the equation. And we're going to get into that as we speak. God himself, the Bible says, what's going to happen to Russia? Russia is right now being a powerhouse. Russia right now is being a bully in Syria. Well, I can tell you what's going to happen to Russia. And I can tell you what's going to happen to radical Islam. Right now you turn on the news and there's talk of ISIS, talk of Hezbollah, talk of uh, the Sunni this, the Shiite things. Well, very soon now the Bible says that both of those entities are going to be taken out of the way. I can declare to you what's going to happen in the future. Not around the corner, but a little bit further down. Russia and Iran and these Muslim nations, Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 2, King James Version, says these nations are going to attack Israel. It's called the Battle of Gog and Magog. And the Bible says that God himself is going to destroy these nations. And 83% of them are going to be destroyed by fire, by brimstone, like Sodom and Gomorrah, that the whole world and Israel will say, that wasn't Israeli defense forces. That was Almighty God. And the world is going to say, oh my gosh, the God of the Old Testament is alive and well, and he's the one that did that. And the whole world will see it. I believe that we'll be gone. The rapture will happen prior to that. That's a little bit further down the road. But now I want to talk about what I believe is going to happen before, very possibly before the rapture. Things that we are going to see as we speak. Prophecies that are now around the corner. The Bible says that there will be the destruction of Damascus. The destruction of Damascus. What is Damascus? Damascus is the capital of Syria. The cap- it's the oldest city that's been inhabited, continuously inhabited in the world. Jerusalem is the oldest, but they have been destroyed and not inhabited for long periods of time. Not Damascus. Damascus has always been inhabited continuously. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1, Isaiah chapter 17, verse 9, Isaiah chapter 17, verse 14, it says that destruction is coming to Damascus, that it's going to be utterly destroyed, never to be inhabited again. Well, if you look at the news right now, what's going on in Damascus? It's a mess. There are a lot of people in there. There are a lot of different factions in there. I already told you Russia was in there. I already told you Iran was in there. ISIS is in there. Hezbollah is in there. This rebel group, our own commandos are in there. And there's other contractors as well that are in there. A lot of 
different factions that are in there. Well, the Bible says that something is going to happen to where Israel, Isaiah 17, 9, is going to go and Israel themselves are going to destroy that city and never to be inhabited again. What could be the cause of that? As I just finished reading to you, right now they're threatening and they're saying, we've got a lot of missiles that we can shoot into you, Israel. And keep in mind, Syria is a proxy. In other words, is an extension of Iran. Iran is right now trying to build nuclear bombs. Iran is even buying S-300s and S-400s that Israel has said, there are two deal breakers and we will attack you, Iran, if you do. One, if you enrich that uranium enough to get nuclear bombs, we're not going to let that happen. Two, if you get the S-300s and S-400s from Russia, you buy those to where if we try to fly over you, you can shoot us down. We will not let you assemble those. If you buy those, before you assemble them, we will come and bomb those. Well, right now, we, the United States, have enabled Syria, should I say Iran, to be able to get all these billions of dollars. And now Iran is trying to buy the S-300s and S-400s. And so as we speak, they have the money to be able to buy them. And Israel has said, if you buy those, we will destroy them. And Iran recognizes that. If Israel does go in there and bomb, for whatever reason, Iran has said, we will use our proxies to immediately start raining down rockets into you, which is Syria, which is Lebanon. And I just finished reading to you that they're threatening each other right now. And right before our very eyes, this can happen at any moment. Listen, a mistake can happen in Syria. There are so many people, there are so many F-16s, F-17s flying. There are all sorts of mistakes that can happen as we speak. And many military experts, you saw the CIA director, he says, I don't sleep at night thinking about a chemical attack, thinking about these guys using these weapons of mass destruction and causing a much larger conflict. The destruction of Damascus. What else could happen at any moment now? I told you guys that the four or five nations that have been fighting Israel since they became a nation again in 1948 are not included in the Battle of Gog and Magog, namely Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, Syria, Saudi Arabia. Those nations right now are amassing armies ready to fight each other, Sunni and Shiite together, ready to fight each other as we speak. If, they're, if they happen to say, you know what, we hate each other, Sunnis and Shiites, they hate each other since Muhammad died and tried to develop a successor. If they were to decide, you know what, why are we fighting each other? Let's fight Israel. And they start attacking Israel. The Bible says, Psalms chapter 83, these nations are going to come up and come up with a wicked plan. They're going to come up with a plan to destroy Israel. And the Bible says that God, he prophesies that Israel is going to come and attack those nations and destroy those nations. And all of a sudden, Israel will have peace. Israel will not have to have walls. That hasn't happened. Why is that? Because they have Hamas, they have Hezbollah, they have the Palestinians, they have the Syrians, they have everybody right around them always trying to destroy them. There's no peace right now. But if they attack, Israel has said, we will use all our firepower to once and for all take care of this. 
And I believe that if these crazy Islamic groups start shooting in chemical weapons or whatever into Israel, Israel has a saying, never again. Never again. What happened to our people by Hitler and the extermination of the Jews and the gassing of the Jews, never again. We will use our full arsenal to make sure that doesn't happen. They have what they have, the Samson option. If you remember Samson, he blew it and he got his eyes plucked out, hands holding up the pillars, and he asked God at the very end of his life, God, help me in my death to kill more of your enemies than I ever did while I was living. And God gave him the ability to bring down the pillars. And in his death, he committed suicide to a certain degree, but he destroyed those enemies. And Israel has said, remember Masada, remember the Samson option. And we will use whatever we have to if you attack us and they play no games. It's not just rhetoric. It's not just talk. Prime Minister Netanyahu has said unequivocally, we will use everything at our disposal to make sure if you attack us, we will take care of business. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 38 that God is going to use a hook to bring in Russia. What will be that hook if Israel attacks Syria and destroys it right now? Who's in Syria? A lot of the Russians are in Syria. A lot of their money is in Syria. The hook to bring in Iran. Why will Iran want to, want to do that? Because they have generals in Syria. They have their marines in Syria. So if Israel was provoked and they retaliated, that would be the hook that brings in these nations to attack Israel Ezekiel 30 and 39. But that's not the only one. Now, before our very eyes, right before our very eyes, there's another hook that just happened last year. Last year, Israel announced the largest oil find, a huge oil find, right in their northern border. In the Golan Heights, they found a huge oil find that is worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. And now there's another hook because the Bible says in Ezekiel 38, it says to Gog and it says to the other nations, why are you coming into Israel? Why are you coming to do this devious plan? Is it for the booty, for the riches? And many people for years said, I don't understand that. I mean, all Israel has is maybe some cattle. They don't really have a lot of things. I mean, they have fruits. They have trees. They have flowers. They don't really have a lot. And they always complained, hey, God, um, our Arab brethren, they got the oil and we got the brains. But we really don't have any riches until last year. Last year, the stage was set for the hook monetarily, economically, for somebody like Russia to say, I don't care about this whole religious thing, but I want that money. I want that oil. And what's going on with Russia as we speak? They are in desperate situations. Why? Because the cost and the barrel of oil is so low and over 70% of their economy is from oil. So because they're over 70% of the economy is from oil, as well as Iran, Venezuela, and some other nations, they 
need war to happen to get the price of oil up, or they need to get more oil to be able to sell more of it to be able to make more money. And now Russia is saying, hey, Israel, you're an occupied land. Now Syria is saying, hey, Israel, you're an occupied land. You took Golan Heights from us in 1967. Never mind the fact that Israel didn't fight them first. Israel was being defensive and was receiving rockets from the Golden Heights. And so, therefore, they won that war and took over the Golden Heights so they wouldn't have rockets rain down on them. It's equivalent to us, the United States, when we fought Mexico and we took over Texas. What if ever since that happened to now, Mexico said, hey, America, Texas is an occupied land. um, uh, California is an occupied land. Israel is an occupied, should I say, um, uh, Arizona is an occupied land. That's equivalent to them saying that. Or right now, if Russia was, people were saying, hey, Russia, you have gone into Ukraine, into Crimea. That's occupied. Nobody says that except for Israel. And right now, that cry is going out. It used to be really just for Judea and Sumeria, the West Bank. They really wouldn't say anything about the Golden Heights until they found that oil. And a couple of years ago, the natural gas. Huge amounts of money in natural gas and oil. And now they're saying, hey, Israel, that's occupied land. And Israel's not going to let go of it. And now you have the hook for Ezekiel 38 and 39. Right before our very eyes, militarily, leadership in the world. Right before our very eyes, we're seeing America unravel at the scenes. We even have young people now thinking that what we need is a socialist. That'll be good. That'll be utopia. Not even knowing these young people that are right now going after the socialist, thinking that's a good thing. They don't know their history. What is going on with America? That now our convictions, what we used to stand for, is no longer the case. And I'm going to tell you, It's important who we vote for. But no political hero is going to save America. I don't care how good. I don't care what he says or she says. No one. This is going to have to be a repentance like Nineveh did. America has to repent and turn back to its Christian roots and start supporting Israel. What made America strong? It was our Judeo-Christian foundation and our support of Israel, and both of which we've turned our back on. How is God going to once again bless our nation and protect us? Not by a political hero. I don't care if he's Democrat, Republican, whomever. It's going to have to be a Nineveh moment. Unlike other nations, the United States isn't really mentioned As powerful as we are a nation right now, as influential of a nation we are right now, you see how the Bible talks about the kings of the east and 200 million strong going to Megiddo, Armageddon. China has easily to be able to come up with a 200 million strong army. It talks about Gog and Russia. It talks about the European nations. But nowhere in the Bible does it really say specifically about the United States. Back. What we keep on doing is printing money and printing money without any backing behind it. In essence, 
about to cause hyperinflation. If somebody has $100,000 in the bank, very soon, that's not going to be, it still may be 100000 but it's not going to be worth 100000 anymore because they're going to devalue the currency. And that's happening not just here. Read about it. Japan is going through the same thing. Europe is going through the same thing. The world's economies are slowing down. Why do you think the price of oil is low? It isn't just probably to attack Russia right now and to hurt them, but it's because the economy of the world is slow. People aren't buying as much. Consequently, you don't have as many ships going back and forth. It's called the Baltic Index. You don't have as many trucks going back and forth. Thank God, they, thank God El Paso, we have pretty good economy because of Juarez and because of Fort Bliss. But many states are really struggling. Many countries are really struggling. And the Bible says, at the beginning of Revelation, there's going to be a worldwide economic collapse. Hyperinflation. And we see the beginnings of that. And America could very well be hit with that or a terrorist attack. Or I believe the main reason is the rapture. No other nation in the world will be affected more by the rapture than the United States. And the ones that it's going to be hurting the most, the United States, are the ones that are working, the ones that are responsible, the ones that are pulling their load and the loads of many others, the ones that are standing for God, the ones that are holding up the fort, so to speak. When the rapture happens... It's going to affect us more than anybody else. Are America's years, best years, already behind us? I pray not. But I'm concerned that could very well be the case. So what is the purpose of Bible prophecy? As I turn the page a little bit. This high up view, like in a parade, where you're able to see, if you're up there on the 50th floor, not only the rest of the street, but the corner and the other streets. What is the purpose of Bible prophecy? This heads-up gift that God has given us. 27% of the Bible is prophecy. Why is that in there? One, I believe so we can know what's coming and be ready. So we can know and be prepared. Titus 2, 11 through 14 talks about this. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking, listen, looking for the blessed hope, the rapture, and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself. What does he want? What is he looking for? A special people. A people that are zealous for good works. He wants somebody who is separate from the world. He wants somebody who's not playing games. He wants somebody who is not being filthy like the world. He wants a holy people. A separated people. A sanctified people. People that are saying, God, what do you want me to do? And zealous for his works. He wants us to prioritize. In other words, keep the main thing the main thing. Not a job. We all need jobs. When I was in San Francisco, I mean, I just couldn't believe the focus 
on money. The focus on jobs. The focus on materialism. It is so evident there. Probably more than most parts of the world. San Jose, Silicon Valley, San Francisco area. That's the main focus. You may say, well, that's really not me. All I care about really is my family. My Well, that's a problem as well. What do you mean, Ernie? So many people are focused and put their family and their marriage or wanting to get married more than anything else. Even more than their marriage to Jesus. And I'm going to show you a scripture right now that is going to blow your minds. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29 through 31 says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though, keep it there, as though they had none. Oh my gosh. Time is short, brethren. Don't focus just on your family, on your marriage. Don't put her and him and your kids above what God wants you to do. Next verse. Those who weep as though they, they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. What does that scripture mean? Well, time is short. God is saying, you need to change your worldview. You need to get a biblical worldview. That was pretty radical what I just finished reading. Radical. And God is saying, I want you to shift your thinking and have a biblical worldview. Not what the world says is important, but what God says is important. Not what the world says is priority, but what God says is priority. Act as if you had no spouse. No. I mean, I thank God for my spouse, for my wife. I love her very much. I put a lot of focus on her. But God is saying, Ernie, you better focus me and put me first and put what I want you to be doing first above anything else. In other words, Jesus needs to be your number one, not your child, not your spouse, not anyone else. Worldly people will be narcissistic. No, no, no. I want to do what I want to do. Hey, Akala, Jesus, don't come back yet. I just want to get married first. I just want to get my degree first. I just want to be able to do this and do that. Christians, I'm going to tell you something. When we get raptured, one minute after we're in heaven, we're not going to care about anything else. Nothing else. Why is it that in heaven there's no marriage? Because we're married to him. And when we see him, and when we see the marks on his hand, and what he's done for us, we're going to realize, Sandra's just my sister, but he's my husband. He's my king. He's my Lord. That scripture talked about weeping and rejoicing. What does that mean? It means that when things happen that are bad, don't weep on it or don't rejoice on it or don't be so caught up with emotion that you lose your motivation and your hope and your purpose. 
So many times what happens to us is when we go through hard times, we get demoralized. And we don't want to go forward with the things of God. We don't want to pray. We don't want to read our Bible. We don't want to come to church. And what he's saying is get a grip on your emotions. The bad times or the good times. Don't let you be a mature Christian. A mature Christian is one that isn't going to be vacillating based on circumstances, good or bad. God, no matter what, God, no matter if it's good or bad, I'm going to stay on course. I'm going to stay with you, Lord. The Bible says the form of this world is passing. I've talked about the Titanic. I believe this world is the Titanic. I believe there's water in the hull. And it's not a question of if it's going to sink, but it's when. Who cares about what the third floor looks like and how beautiful the chandelier is? Very soon it's going down. The form of this world is changing. What else should we be doing? Why is prophecy there? So we can warn people, warn our unsaved loved ones and friends, and warn those who maybe are saved but are right now being distracted. Imagine in the parade, you got a little child. And right now it's kind of boring. You know, when I saw it in San Francisco, I've got to be honest with you, some parts were pretty good and some parts were boring. And I started losing my attention on some of the boring parts, and I'm like being distracted. And because I couldn't see what's around the corner, I felt like, you know what? Right now, I think I'm going to go get a Coke, get something to eat. But if I had somebody who had a walkie-talkie or a cell phone and they called me, Ernie, you may not want to leave right now because what's right around the corner, you're not going to want to miss that float. You're not going to want to miss that. God is sending us a cell phone message, a communication by his word. And he's saying, don't be distracted. What's right around the corner, you can't miss. What's right around the corner is your blessing. Your redemption draweth nigh. And you're also going to avoid the judgment that's coming to this world. Be ready. What other reason is Bible prophecy for? It's to encourage you. To encourage you and to give you hope. I want to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. We're almost done. 1 Thessalonians It says, For the Lord himself will descend. This is the rapture. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel, and with a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, or hapazo, or rapturo, where we get the word rapture from, together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm not sure if the rapture is going to happen, you know, until the middle of the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation. I don't know. That scripture right there is one of the most powerful arguments that the rapture is going to happen before the seven-year great tribulation. Because if I believe that I'm going to have to go through the great tribulation, even half of it, and avoiding 100-pound hailstorms, avoiding an earthquake that kills 25% of the population, avoiding all these things that are going to happen. I don't know about you, but I can't comfort myself with that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to get a bomb shelter. I need to go out and get three and a half years worth of food and shelter. 
But that scripture there gives us hope. Hey, Christian, you're not going to have to go through that. That's divine judgment. That's not saying that we may not go through hard times because of this world's judgment, because of ISIS, because of whatever. But divine judgment, the Bible says, we're not appointed unto wrath. That right there is comfort. That right there is, is hope. Many today are suffering anxiety. A lot of anxiety. If you look at the news right now, people are pill-popping like never before. Suicides are up like never before. Gun sales are up like never before. People are worried about what's about to happen and what is happening. And the Bible speaks that that would be the case of these days. Luke 21, 25-26, it says, The world will be having distress of nations with perplexity. Men's hearts failing them for fear of what's going to come on the earth. Jesus said, how is it going to be right before I come back? People are going to be being anxious. People are going to be having heart attacks, anxiety attacks, panic attacks because of what's going on in the world. I got to tell you, if somebody's not a Christian, if somebody's an atheist, an agnostic, a backslider, or just not saved, but they're a thinking person, and they look at what's going on in the world, my bet is they're concerned, they're scared, they see what's going on, and that's why some of the people that are the richest people right now, you know what they're buying? They're buying getaways. They're buying islands. They're buying very deep bunker-busting bomb shelters because they see what's right around the corner. They anticipate. And God says, Christian, you don't have to be that way because I'm your redemption. I'm your hope. I'm your comfort. For those of people who just say, I've had people tell me, Ernie, you're just an escapist. You know, can I tell you something? Um, (laughs) If you want to stay on the Titanic, you can. I'm going to get off. And I'm not just going to get off, but I'm working. I'm going to do everything I can to get my loved ones, my friends, and anybody else that will listen off the Titanic. I'm not just twiddling my thumbs. I'm putting my money where my mouth is, my time where my mouth is. If I didn't believe this, I promise you, I would be doing something else right now and probably being like the world with money. But I believe this with all my heart. And therefore, this is the Titanic. God, help me to be able to rescue souls and do your purposes. The Bible says, looking for him, which is our blessed hope. Our blessed hope. That's our encouragement. So are you ready? Are you ready? Listen, if you don't know Jesus, or you're a backslider, you're in danger. You're in danger. You're in eternal danger. Please understand what the Word of God is trying to warn us about here. Luke 21.36, it says, Luke 21, 36. Watch therefore, Jesus, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I love what Martin Luther says. He said, I live like Jesus died and was buried yesterday. He rose from the dead today, and he's coming back tomorrow. I love that. What keeps me grounded in my faith? So I'm not going to be moved. It's really two things. I'm so grateful that he forgave me of my sins. 
and that he wrote my name in the book of life. If he doesn't do anything else for me, that's enough. And then the second thing, he's coming back for me. What a fool I would be. I have a ticket in my hand. The train is coming for me to say, eh, it's okay. No way. He's coming around the corner. And I want to make sure that I'm on that train. I want to make sure that I'm raptured. How about you? God is trying to warn his people. He loves us. He doesn't do this, I said, to scare us, but to prepare us. All of this that we talked about, these scriptures and this news, is to prepare you to be ready. Christians used to say a greeting. The Jews would say, Shalom, peace be with you. And the Christians were going through such hard times that they would say, Maranatha. In the Greek, it was, O Lord, come quickly. But in the Aramaic, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, it's Maranatha. In other words, O Lord, come quickly. That should be our rallying cry. Hey, Lord, I'm not going to be bogged down with the things of this world. Hey, Lord, I'm not going to let nothing or no one cause me to be brought down and be distracted and knocked off course. Jesus, thank you that I'm about to be raptured. Help me, Lord, to be able to help others be ready to. Amen? I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed, please. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your warnings, my God. Thank you for your warnings. Hallelujah. Prophecies that are now around the corner. Are you ready? Prophecy is not to scare us, but it's to prepare us because he loves us. Prophecy is a gift so we can be ready and prepared. It's a gift so we can be comforted in this world that has no comfort, so we can have peace. In this world that has no peace. So we can know that our redemption draweth nigh. We look at all the signs that are going on. All the signs are there. And God is saying, are you ready? I'm coming back for you. And forever, for whoever person wants Jesus and wants to be ready and has prepared himself, he's going to come back for you. If you're right now here and you aren't ready, you haven't given your life to Christ. You really haven't heard this message before. Or you have heard it, and you're a backslider, and you're playing games. You're living in sin. I beg you, it's right around the corner. The birth pain is about to come. These prophecies are about to happen. Please don't be left behind. Jesus has paid the price for your sins to be forgiven. And he's got the train ready for you to be picked up by way of the rapture. The ticket is accepting Jesus, repenting of your sins, making him your Lord and your Savior. If you would like to do that right now, raise your hand to Jesus, saying, Jesus, that's me. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. God, save me, God. God, I don't want to be left behind, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your warnings. Thank you for the gift of prophecy, Lord. And I'm not, God. And I'm ready to repent. If that's you, raise your hand to God. Raise your hand to God. Anybody here that will be honest. God loves you. Please don't play games. I know there's got to be somebody here. Because I felt 
the Holy Spirit telling me to do this message. God loves you, and it's for you if you're not ready. Please be ready. Get right with God. Don't let time pass. It could happen tonight. Please get right with God. Raise your hand to Jesus. Anybody here? I see that honest person there. Thank you. Anybody else that joined this honest person? Anybody else? I know there's more. Yes, I see that hand there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Backslider. Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? Jesus loves you. You're right now feeling God speaking to you. That's not the devil that wants you to get right with God. That's Jesus who loves you and wants you to get right with him. Anybody else? Raise your hand to Jesus. For those of you who raise your hand, I want you to come forward. Come forward. Come on, brother. Brother, come on, brother. Come on. Somebody's going to pray with you guys. Christians, God loves you. And this is a gift, just like in a parade, where somebody is way up there and says, Hey, don't go get a Coke right now. Don't get them to eat right now. You're about to see a beautiful blimp or a beautiful part of the parade. Don't miss it. But this is a lot better than a parade. This is our Lord. His redemption is coming. He's about to come on the scene. We're about to see things happen in this world that are going to be mind-boggling. And we as Christians, because he's warned us, he's told us about this in the Bible, we know about this. And it's our responsibility to be ready and to help others be ready. I'm going to open up these altars. Talk to God. Talk to God. I know there are things here that need to be made right. Things that our commitment level, our treasure, our time, our talents. What are you doing with those things? It's time. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, my God, that our redemption draweth near. Thank you for your holy word, God. Thank you for your advanced warnings, my God. I pray, God, for every single person here, Lord, that we would be the five wise virgins, God, not playing games, God. Father, let go of the things of this world, Lord. Father, let go of the temporal, my God. God, not even prioritize Anything else but you or anyone else but you, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord. You are worthy of us to prioritize you, my God. Worthy, God, of us to live right, my God. Worthy of us to separate ourselves from the world and be that peculiar, holy, and special people, Lord. In Jesus' name we thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, my God. Praise you, Lord. Thank you. You are good, Lord. You are such a good God. Hallelujah, my God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my God. 
Thank you, my God. Praise the living God. Praise you, King of Kings, my God. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Praise you, my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes. Let's all stand up. If some rich person came and you were living in a terrible situation like Syria and somebody came in their 747 plane and said, I want to take you out of here. Tough situation. And I want to take you to a beautiful place in America. You would be so grateful to that person. How much more should we right now be grateful to our Lord? And show him we're grateful by living right. Right now, all of us need to have a biblical world view. Not caught up to this world or be conformed to this world, but be transformed based on what we see is going on. And that's something that we got to work on. I have to work on that all the time. As much as I study this subject, I still have to fight my stinking flesh and be able to say, shut up, old Ernie. I'm going to prioritize God. And God, thank you, Lord. And so you are worthy of me to be ready. But one of the things that motivates me is God is coming for us. God is coming for you. He loves you. And he's about to redeem you. Let's worship God and just thank him for that. Be thinking about that. Thank you, my God. In Jesus' name, we praise you, Lord God. We praise you and thank you, Lord God. You are worthy, Lord. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my God. In Jesus' name, for your warnings, my God. Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my God. In Jesus' name. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 God is speaking loudly to his word. Are we going to listen? Are we going to obey? God is looking for people who will see the gift of prophecy and not only have it here, but take it to heart. Let's do that. When I have our brother uh, Menno close us in prayer.